Alright guys, happy Thursday to everybody. What is up? What is up? We are still one day closer to the weekend, but unfortunately we are not one day closer to another Penn State football Saturday. We have to wait until Sunday to see where we will be going bowling, hopefully at the end of the month and hopefully someplace warm for the boys, but got to wait and see. Season recap episode of the Penn State Quick Slants. I will talk about the highs and the lows, the good and the bad, the ugly, what we saw, what we didn't see, what we liked, what we didn't like from this season. MVPs on both sides of the ball for me personally and talk about what we want to see next season. We'll talk about the coaching carousel, talk about what it means for the programs that were left behind, what it means for recruiting, some of it hit close to home, talk about all that kind of good stuff, talk about the Heisman race, I think it's locked up for one guy, talk about the Saturday slate uh, for conference championship Saturday, talk about all that kind of good stuff. Lots to dive into, but of course, first housekeeping notes. These are the Penn State Quick Slants. Of course, I am your host, Steven. I appreciate the support all year. It's been awesome. The feedback has been great. Hopefully next season will be bigger and better than this year. Go follow me on Twitter real quick. I am at Steven underscore Springs. Go follow my co-host of the We Got Next podcast, Christian Hayes. Shout out to Christian. He is at AO Shifty. Go follow the We Got Next podcast, which is at We underscore Got Next. Of course, go like and subscribe to us on YouTube and follow us on Spotify. Going to take a break after this episode. Uh, and I'll be back for the bowl game and get you guys prepared for that. And then I'm going to generate a whole ton of content for you guys in the offseason. And then before you know it, it will be blue-white weekend. So, diving into the Saturday slate. It starts tomorrow night with the Pac-12 championship game. A rematch of a game a couple weeks ago. Number 10, Oregon, taking on number 17, Utah. Of course, these rankings reflect the college football playoff rankings. That game is 8 o'clock on ABC. Number 9, Baylor. This is Saturday now. Number nine, Baylor takes on number five, Oklahoma State, 12 o'clock ABC in the Big 12 championship game. If Alabama does not survive Georgia, I believe if Oklahoma State wins, they will be in the playoffs. Uh, Kent State taking on Northern Illinois in the MAC championship game, 12 o'clock on ESPN. The Mountain West championship, Utah State taking on number 19, San Diego State, 3 o'clock on Fox. Appalachian State taking on number 24, Louisiana, 3.30 on ESPN. That is the Sun Belt Championship game. Of course, the SEC Championship game, number one, Georgia, taking on number three, Alabama. That is 4 o'clock on CBS. Number 21, Houston, taking on number four, Cincinnati, 4 o'clock on ABC. That is the American Championship. And of course, the Big Ten Championship game, number two, Michigan. Shout out to Michigan for finally beating Ohio State. And number 13, Iowa, that is 8 o'clock on Fox. The matchup that no one anticipated, number 15 Pitt taking on number 16 Wake Forest in the ACC Championship game. That is 8 o'clock on ABC. And a makeup game from a couple weeks ago, USC taking on Cal. That is 11 o'clock on FS1. Got that out of the way. Got you guys ready for Saturday and Friday. Um, the Heisman race, I believe, is locked up for Bryce Young. I think CJ Stroud not having a great game and ultimately losing against Michigan really put a a hurt on his Heisman hopes. I think uh, Bryce Young locked it up. They survived in triple overtime against a, you know average Auburn team, but nonetheless, he's got the numbers to back up the season. He's got the numbers to win the Heisman. Uh, Bryce Young finished with 3,900 yards, 40 touchdowns, four interceptions. C.J. Stroud did finish with, with 3,800 yards, 38 touchdowns, five interceptions. Um, so I, I I do believe it is locked up for for Bryce Young. The only other guy I think this season that has a chance to win it, if people really look at his impact on the year, 
is Will Anderson, linebacker from Alabama. He's got 29 and a half sacks, which is unbelievable. Um, he's got 14 and a half. He's got 29 and a half tackles for loss. Sorry, and 14 and a half sacks. That's pretty remarkable for a linebacker. Um, so I, I don't think he's going to win it. But if there's another guy who's going to get a lot of votes, that's not going to be a quarterback. It's going to be Will Anderson. So we'll see how that goes. Well, like I said, I do believe he's locked up for for Bryce Young. Coaching carousel. Um, where do I begin? The first news that broke was Lincoln Riley to USC. And it was, you see the reports about it. You see the news. You see so-and-so from whatever publication or whatever website it is says that he's hearing or she's hearing or he said, she said type of thing that so-and-so is going to so-and-so. And you don't really believe it. If you haven't heard it before, you don't really believe it at first glance. But then the more you see it from other people confirming what person A said, then you kind of start to believe it. And then you see pictures. And then you see tweets from the official you know, football account of, of USC. And then you see the picture of Lincoln Riley getting off the plane in California. Then you see him at the press conference. And then you're like, oh shit, this actually happened. Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma and goes to USC. Um, Oklahoma joining the, the SEC in a couple years, um, I feel like that has to play a role into this. If, if Oklahoma wasn't going to win, and they've had great teams when, with, with Lincoln Riley over the years. They've had great teams, but they just couldn't get over whatever hump. You know, Penn State has the same problem. We've, we've had some good teams under Franklin, just can't get over the hump. Now Oklahoma's been a little bit better, obviously, but still, they just can't get there. They've gotten to the playoffs, but then they lose. Um, and then join the SEC, and you're going to have to take on Alabama, and Georgia, and Florida, and LSU, and you know Kentucky's on the rise. And you know there's there's a lot of programs in the SEC that you're going to have to get by if you want to win. Not just the Alabamas and the Georgias, but there's a lot of other programs that you're going to have to get by and get get in line with if you're going to win the SEC. Going to the Pac-12, you know you you really don't have that much competition. So there's a good chance you can go 11-1, 12-0, and be in the playoffs. And I think that's that's ultimately what would get him in the playoffs, is going 11-1, 12-0, winning the conference, and being up there, having a great team. And Lincoln Riley has put together some awesome offenses in Norman. He's had great players. He's had a lot of guys come through with you know, Heisman winners, great offenses. So I think he'll take that to USC. There's, there's always the, the conversation about you know, timing for coaches, was it the right thing to do? Was it the way they did it? There's, there's, there's no, there's no good way to do it, you know, because the coach always says something at the beginning of the season that comes back to haunt them. At, at this point, you know, they they've said talking about guys transferring in, talking about coaches leaving. You know, they talk about other coaches. So when it happens to them, it's like, oh, well, you said this six months ago, or you said this to all the recruits, or whatever. And yeah, like. At the time when he told recruits maybe that he wasn't going to be leaving anytime soon, that was probably true. So he probably didn't lie to them. But these things pop up. We all know this coaching carousel, it just goes and goes and goes. And when that opportunity arises, sometimes you just can't pass it up. And, you know, it happens. And then you got to regroup and you got to go on your coaching search again. And he says that the first time he heard him was pretty early. Um... You know, I think it was Sunday. So I think, I, I don't believe that. I think you heard from them a lot earlier than that. I think 
that Lincoln Riley's name pops up a lot, and I think he's been on the radar, and I think he kind of wanted to see how the season played out for Oklahoma, and then make the decision, you know, after their game against Oklahoma State, you know, obviously that's kind of what led to it, not making the playoffs, still in the, in the running for a New Year's Six Bowl game, so obviously he's not going to coach in that game, but um, there's just, I feel like there's just a lot, a lot of noise out there with these decisions. Like, I can't blame a coach for, for doing this. Now, if he says something on, on a Monday that says, hey, I'm, I'm not leaving, I'm going to be here, and then on Tuesday, he's the next head coach at whatever school, then that's, that's a little different. But if he's saying, I plan on being here for the long term in you know July at media day, then he, and then he leaves now, there's a, that's a long time for a team to fire a coach or teams to fire coaches, and someone come calling with their pockets wide open and saying, here, we'll give you $100 million. Here you go. And all these incentives and all these perks and everything, what do you say? It's really hard to pass that up. Like, we, were, me and Christian were talking about it on, on the We Got Next podcast last night with the whole Staples Center thing changing to the Crypto.com Arena. Like, no one's going to call it the Crypto.com Arena. You know, obviously TV announcers will do all that. But, like, if you're talking about you know, the Staples Center, you're going to call it the Staples Center. But everyone's like, why would they change the name? Well, when someone comes calling with $700 million to give naming rights to your arena, you're going to take it. If someone if someone told me to change my name to something just outrageous for a couple hundred million dollars, you're damn right I'm going to change my name. Of course I am. No one's going to pass up on that. So when USC comes calling... It gives your family unlimited access to the to the team's private jet and gives you all these incentives and whatnot. And it's Southern California. And you have a chance to really build that program back up to what it used to be. You're you're really not gonna pass on that. And it's just another challenge. And that leads me to Brian Kelly, who said going to LSU is another challenge. And he was at Notre Dame for a long time. Just you know, he you know, one of the better coaches in, in Notre Dame history, and I think he's the all time winningest coach in Notre Dame history. What he did and the way he did it, I think, is completely different from the way Lincoln Riley did it. Um, I think the way Brian Kelly did it, I've never been a Brian Kelly fan. He's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way for whatever reason. I've always said I never trust the head coach that wears, you know, that has a head, headset on both ears. Um, so I, I don't trust him because of that. But um, I just, the way he did it, the, the Texas sound to the guys, how short his, his meeting was with the team, the next day at 7 a.m. It lasted for less than 10 minutes. The way he did that and the way it all came out and the way everyone found out on social media, the way he did it was very um, slimy, we'll say. And I don't have any respect for it, the way he did it. Um, never been a Brian Kelly fan, like I said. Never been a big Notre Dame fan. Um, but nonetheless, he's at LSU now. And he's, I think he'll probably get a rude awakening. Once he starts playing those games and once he starts playing Alabama's and the Georgia's of the world every year and realizes, oh shit, I'm not playing these random ass teams every year. I'm not playing these subpar teams, not playing one good team a year like I did in Notre Dame. It's going to be a lot different. He's also getting paid a shit ton of money. He's going to be making upwards of 10, 11 million dollars per year, plus a whole lot of other incentives. I saw that if he goes... Six and six. If he's bowl eligible, he has a five hundred thousand dollar bonus. <laughs> and 
And then there's other bonuses of like $850,000, million dollars or whatever to win the conference or go to the playoffs and all that kind of good stuff. So he's going to be making an insane amount of money. But that's what happens when you go to the SEC. You can make it a shit ton of money because they have the donors and everyone to, to pay all that. And it's not that big of a deal. And $11 million for the SEC to pay a coach a year is nothing, which kind of proves that Nick Saban is vastly underpaid. But that's neither here nor there. What does this mean for recruiting? Oklahoma already lost three commits. One of them uh, already committed to USC. And I think that's, um, that, you know, that is what it is. Like, the kids have the right to do so. You know, until they sign their, their letter of intent, which I guess after that point, you can just enter the transfer portal. But once they sign their letter of intent, they're, you know, they're quote-unquote locked in. But until then, until they get to that point, they can do whatever they want. It happens every single year. You know, Joe Moorhead left Penn State after the 2017 season, and that's the reason why we had Justin Fields committed. Joe Moorhead leaves, and Justin Fields decommits. Happens all the time. I'm never going to forgive Justin Fields for that, but nonetheless, it happens all the time. So those that was that's expected. But I haven't seen a lot of Notre Dame guys waver. I haven't seen that happen, but I'm sure there's some guys who are like, man, like, what, you know, what should I do? Um, but again, neither here nor there. That's it's it's gonna happen. Um, Notre Dame. It looks like they're going to name Marcus Freeman, who's the defensive coordinator right now, as their as their next head coach. Good for him. I think a lot of guys on the staff, you know, they they want that to happen. So I think good for him as well. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk about maybe Luke Fickle. Being on the staff, you know, being mentioned as his next head coach, but I think, you know, Marcus Freeman. It, once his name was mentioned, I think it's just it's been mentioned before you know, a ton of times. So it looks like he's getting the job. So good for him. Um, it looks like they're filling their vacancy pretty quickly. Um, Oklahoma, on the other hand, I I haven't seen a lot of names for that job. Bob Stoops right now is the interim head coach, which is hilarious to me, um, and he'll coach him in the bowl game. Um, so. Look, the whole coaching carousel thing, it is what it is. You know, it happens every year. You have these coaches who say during media day, or you have the coaches who say, I'm going to be here for the long term. James Franklin, whether you like it or not, and whether you like how he's approached it or not, like he's never given that answer until, you know, until he signed his, his extension. He's never given that answer of, you know, I'm going to be here long term. He wanted to wait until everything was in line, until they crossed the T's and dotted the I's. He wanted to wait till everything was how he wanted it, and you know, tell his team, the coaches, the recruits, and he mentioned he was keeping everybody up to date on everything and how it was going. And then finally, at the quarterback club, you know, a couple weeks ago, he mentioned, "I'm, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be here," which goes back to what I said. I think we all knew he was going to stay, but. He never wanted to give that answer because, you know, part of him probably never wanted to leave that door completely closed of the opportunity to go somewhere else and take on another challenge. But I think he also wanted to make sure everything was in line as to how he wanted to approach it. Everything was, you know, like I said, dot your dot your I's, cross your T's, make sure everything's in line, and then you can make the announcement. Some of these guys, they just up and leave. And that's what happens. But... Again, neither here nor there. So, 
This season obviously did not go the way we thought it was going to go. The season's broken up into three parts, in my opinion. Part one is the preseason expectations. Part two, how we started. Part three, obviously, how we finished. If you look at the preseason expectations, when I, I went back and looked at them, a majority of the people said nine and three was our ceiling. And eight and four, seven and five were realistic possibilities. I saw some ten and twos in there, but everyone said the same thing. This season it is based on how Sean Clifford is going to play. And what Sean Clifford were we going to get? Were we going to get the Sean Clifford that we saw in the first handful of games of 2019, the first eight games of the season in 2019? Or are we going to get the Sean Clifford that we saw in 2020, a majority of 2020? Now, it's not like Clifford had a bad season, right? Like It's not like he was awful. Clifford finished fifth in the Big Ten in passing, 2,900 yards, 20 touchdowns, six interceptions. He just was inconsistent. And this is the problem I had with Trace McSorley. I know everyone loved McSorley, but he was just inconsistent. And you saw what happened when all the talent around him left, and he was just average. I know people love McSorley. I know he won the Big Ten. I know he was... Look, I'm not bashing him, but he was just inconsistent, and he cost us some games. And so did Sean Clifford. You know, Sean Clifford, I was I said it every single week. I was just waiting for him to have that game. I was waiting for him to have that moment, have that big passing game where he was the reason why we won the game. Not Jahan Dotson bailed him out, not the defense, you know, bend and, and didn't break type of thing. I wanted Sean Clifford to have that game and then have a stretch of those games. And it just never happened. And if we were going to get to the point that we wanted to get to this season, which was the playoffs, Sean Clifford needed to be that guy and have those games and have that season. And it it just never happened. And look, I've taken nothing away from what Clifford has done. He's had some good moments. He's had some good games. He's won us some games. But he was just inconsistent. And I think after that hit against Iowa... The, everything just came off the rails. 5-0 and heading into that game. 5-0 and heading into that hit. Up 17-7. We were kicking their ass on both sides of the ball. We were moving up and down the field. And we were stopping them on defense. We had that game one. That was the biggest game of the season. We had it. And then the injury happened to Clifford. And like I said, the, everything just came off the rails. And I thought that the bye week came at the right time, but with the with the James Franklin news and the rumors about James Franklin, the LSU guy, the USC guy, all this, his contract, Clifford's injury, there was just so much, I think, negativity that just brought this entire season down. And we just couldn't regroup. And, and, and the season was, it's, it's not like we had a, a loaded front end of the season and then kind of a soft final stretch of the season or it's not like we had a soft opening and then a really tough end of the season it was jam-packed from the beginning you know it started off against wisconsin we had auburn game we traveled to ohio state we had michigan and michigan state within a couple weeks span at the end of the season you know the bye week happened when it did after that after the loss to iowa um the things just this season was just weird i think for me personally I had higher expectations simply because of 
what I knew Mike Yurcich could do with an offense. And what I saw him do at Oklahoma State, what he did with Ohio State, and even Texas last year, they did good. So I thought that with the weapons we had, the running backs we had, the type of defense that we could have had, I thought this season was going to definitely be, you know, maybe not a playoff season, but I thought that we could at least compete for, um, you know, compete for the Big Ten. And I think a lot of people maybe thought that, but again, it wasn't based on Yursich. It was based on Sean Clifford and what Sean Clifford we were going to get. Now, obviously, I don't think anybody saw the struggles we had in the run game coming. I don't think anybody could have predicted that. With how how, how well we did last year in the run game and the guys who are coming back, we had we had a stable of running backs, as they say. And we and no one got going because the offensive line just wasn't good. The offensive line was good in pass protection at times, and that, that kind of broke down as the season went on. And the offensive line started off really hot, but then like, we just couldn't run the ball. And I, I said it every single week that I wasn't going to approach it. I wasn't going to talk about it. But it was so glaring and so atrocious that we, I, I just couldn't ignore it. And, you know, it just, ah, it's just, it's so unfortunate that it happened the way it did that, you know, we had to generate so much offense via the pass game and try to get that going so much and use it as an extension of the run game. And the, it just couldn't get going. We just couldn't get a lot of things, you know, in line. There was no push on up front. There was, we just, we didn't have it. We just didn't have it. And, you know, obviously you're not going to win games if you don't have a good offensive line, right? It's just an average offensive line. And me and Jordan talked about this a couple weeks ago. If you don't have just, like, I don't need a Wisconsin offensive line of old. I don't need five All-Americans across the board, right? I don't need to lead the country in rushing yards per game. I just need to have a decent offensive line that can win the line of scrimmage, that can sustain drives. And that's that's why we've lost so many damn games over the years is we haven't had an offensive line that can stay on the field, sustain drives, open up holes for the running backs, and get first downs. And not to worry about passing it on, on third and five or third and seven or whatever. So... That's a huge, a huge thing that needs to be addressed heading into the offseason and heading into next year is where is the offensive line? Do we have those mean and nasty guys that we need to, to win games, to go up against Ohio State, to go up against Michigan every year, to win those games? Because those games are going to come down to one possession or, or so. And we need to be able to stay on the field. We need to be able to continue drives. And we need to keep the defense, their defense on the field and wear them down. And we were not even remotely close to doing that this year. Not even close. And obviously your offense just isn't going to go anywhere with that. Not going to happen. So I don't put all the blame on Clifford. I don't put all the blame on Franklin, Jurisic, whatever. You know, everyone's at fault for, for the losses. But everyone needs to have, you know, everyone needs to get their praise for the wins. You know, we had this... This season wasn't the worst season we ever had. Okay, seven and five is not. <clears throat> that's way below our standards. But this season wasn't the worst season we ever had. We that, that Wisconsin game, fucking great way to open the season. Come back two weeks later at home. That Auburn game, absolutely amazing. To beat an SEC team, I know Auburn finished six and six, but to beat an SEC team, which the Big Ten had struggled with, to do that after not having fans last year, the whiteout. I mean, that was 
so fucking dope. That was great, absolutely great game. It was, it was, a, yeah, it was a great game too. So that helped. You know, and then I know we had, I know we had the tough stretch against Iowa and Illinois, then Ohio State. You know, with the, the losing streak. Um, but I think there was, a, I think there was still a lot of positives to take away from this. Jahan Dotson might might be the best receiver in the country. He's not on the Belinda finalist list, but he might be the best receiver in the country. That that's a plus. Our transfers, Arnold Ebicati, fucking unbelievable All American type of season, and he better be an All American. Jaquan Brisker, you know, came in from Lackawanna Community College, balled out this year, All Big Ten, you know, potential All American, yeah, and he's gonna get drafted. So we had some we had some some pluses here. We had some some positive things to take away from the season. I know everyone's gonna look at seven seven and five, and hopefully we can get to eight and five and end the season on, on, on a high note. But everyone's gonna look at that seven and five, and be like, man, this season sucked. Yeah, it, the expectations, you know, the expectations I think were met by a lot of people. I think seven and five, eight and four is what a lot of people might have kind of thought we might fall into with with Clifford and everything. Nine and three, like I said, was a ceiling for a lot of people, but we know we have higher expectations. And we know that 7-5 is, like, you might as well go 0-12 at that point. So the season did, did suck, but I think there was definitely some positives to take away from it. Like, defensively. We were 35th, 34th you know, in, in the country in, in total defense. We were 7th in the country in scoring. Offensively, obviously, not that great. 82nd in total yards per game, 81st in, in scoring. So that's going to change. And, and I look back at some of the numbers from Oklahoma State when Yersich was there. He had a, he had a tough stretch to begin with. But I, I think it's going to get going. And I think also, I hate putting so much pressure on such young guys, 17, 18-year-old guys coming in who have obviously never been on campus. They don't know what it's like. Nothing. They're used to high school. But these guys coming in, and me and Jordan talked about it before, when you have... You know, three and four star guys, and you turn them into five star college players. That's really that's really nice to have. Like that's that like that's elite status. But when you have elite five star high school players, and you can, and they come in, and you fine tune something, and you develop them a little bit, and they turn into those five star college players. Those are the guys that can come in and change your entire program. Not just for the three to four years that they're on campus, but going forward. Because you'll get the same guys coming in, and you'll get the same guys to develop and keep you, know, keep you at the top, which is where we want to be at. So guys like Drew Allar, Nick Singleton coming in, who have all the praise, those are the guys that, like, it's, it's, it's so crazy to say, but yes, I'm putting all my stock into those guys in the next three to four years being our window to finally, finally break through, get to the top, and stay at the top. So, I, I think there's a lot to look forward to. We, we had this one bad season, right? We had this one 7-5 season, and then hopefully in the midst of, you know, a, a national championship run, we look back, like, man, that 7-5 season, you know, no one even is going to remember it. I mean, obviously people remember the loss to Illinois, but, you know, I think the future is so, so bright. And I think we have so much to look forward to with the guys coming in, Looks like the class we're building um, for 2023. They, I, I think this is our time. We've been waiting for a long fucking time for it to be our time. 
And I think you're starting to see a little bit of that of that shift in college football. You know, I think you know you look at Michigan. Are, are they going to start being that top dog now? Is it going to be the three of us, Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan now? Look at Georgia. If they beat Alabama and they knock them off, and they go on and win the, nas- the national title. Okay, are they the top dog now? You know, Cincinnati. How how long are they going to be up there? You know, what's Notre Dame going to do? USC. Are they going to be up there now? So I, there's, I feel like there's a shift now in college football, and there's going to be some teams that are coming up that are going to you know, surprise a lot of people, and there's going to be a lot of teams that maybe fall off because they they've been there for so long and it's. It's hard to sustain that. You might have some down years. And this is our down year. This could be our down year. We'll get over it. We'll talk about it. And then we'll forget about it because the next four or five seasons are going to be filled with 11, 12 wins. Trips to the playoff. Big 10 titles. Maybe some Heisman guys in there. All Americans. And then we'll go back. And we'll be like, ah, remember when we were in 7-5? Fuck that. We have a national championship in our sights. It's right there. It is right there. And with the guys coming in, the guys that we had coming back, this is our time. So let's go Let's go win a national title. Um, one of the other things that hit close to home a couple of days ago, Brent Pry, um, long-time guy with James Franklin, obviously spent the last eight seasons being the defensive coordinator, great defensive coordinator. His name pops up every year for a head coaching gig. But I think it was one of those things. He was waiting for the right opportunity to, to come up. He took the Virginia Tech head coaching job. From what I've seen and what I've read, I've met Pry twice in passing. Great guy, Altoona guy, which is weird because he has like a southern type of draw to him. But nonetheless, uh, big news for Altoona. Um, I wish him nothing but the best. Usually when you lose a guy like that and you lose you know, a guy who's been around for so long and he's been a, you know, a great piece of your team for so long, it does, yeah, it does suck. But, like, dude, he's been waiting so long. He's waiting for the right moment. This is his moment. Go take it. I'll be watching. I'm sure we all will. We're all slight you know, Virginia Tech fans now. Um, ironically, they open up against ODU. Who, Ricky Ronnie, if you guys remember, Penn State's old offense coordinator. Obviously, everyone remembers Ricky Ronnie. Um, the head coach at ODU now, so they open up um, next season. Um, I guess just to recap and just to kind of put this season put the regular season to bed. I think there's a lot to look forward to. I think, like I just said, this is our time. So this season sucked. We went through seven wins in two years, 03 and 04. And then look what happened in in 05. And then we have that stretch. We won the Big Ten in 05 and 08. You know, we, we had those runs. So we're about to go on a run. And it's going to be a long one, I think. I, I have a I have a great feeling. Anybody who knows me knows I am optimistic as optimistic can be. I think with the guys we have coming in, the top tier talent that we have coming in, which we haven't gotten this type of top tier talent in, in, in recent years. And when you turn those guys into the top tier talent of college football, that's when you get to the top. And I think that's what we're about to do. We have Franklin set. Don't worry about that. I think the run is coming. A national title will be here very soon. I appreciate all the support throughout the entire year. I hope everyone had a great you know, great Thanksgiving last week. I hope everyone enjoys the holidays coming up. If you're celebrating Hanukkah, happy Hanukkah to everybody. 
Um, I love you guys. The season was not what we wanted, but there's a, a great things to come in, in, in the ha- next handful of years. So let's get ready for it. Let's get ready for the bowl game. Let's get ready for the holidays. And let's get ready for the blue-white game. I love you guys. Always remember, we are.